Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show, your guide to better cricket. We're uh, going to help you out for a little while. Um, whether you play, whether you coach, uh, we're here to give you a few tips and tricks and, and maybe learn some things from you along the way as well. My name is David Hinchliffe and joining me, as he always does, is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Hello, Garris. How are you? I'm well. I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of a very busy week up at Loughborough University, assessing uh, on the Level Four program up here. So we've got, I think we've got 18 coaches over the five days that we're up here who are presenting in front of us and then ask, answering questions on a multitude of things. I'm in uh, a technical room, which has got Tim Boone, who was England under 19 coach and uh, performance analyst and assistant coach before I did it with England who's a top man uh, we've got Carl Crow, who uh, is working all over the world as a spin bowling consultant works for the ICC as a spin bowling consultant um, you've got uh, Glenn Chappell uh, is in there as well oh, uh, as fast bowling and I'm doing keeping and, and, and fielding which is great fun. fantastic what a lineup! what an opportunity for those guys sounds absolutely brilliant yeah, it is. It's tough, you know. That they they earn their they earn their corn, but yeah. um, uh, it's just been really good to be able to sit there and, and listen to people and and listen to what they do in their own coaching practice because they're working in such a variety of different environments from international sides all the way uh, through to people that are, are running sort of mini academies in um, some non first class counties and uh, they're all doing some some great work. So you know I'm here assessing them, but also I'm writing down all their tips as well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Perhaps they'll make an appearance on future podcasts. <laughs> There's every chance. <laughs> yeah, good coaching is, is stealing ideas, isn't it, often? It is. Sam Lavery, of course, normally on the show, not here this week, but uh, he's, he's off busy coaching, speaking of coaching, so um, we'll catch up with him next week. Uh, but as we're speaking about coaching, I, um, I did see a tweet uh, this week that um, perhaps was a little bit harsh, but uh, it was an interesting question that it brought up in my mind. And uh, the tweet said, uh, I was talking about Mark Ramprakash, who of course is uh, helping out England with their batting at the moment. And the tweet said that Mark Ramprakash isn't a good enough batting coach because England don't pass 500 enough times to win matches outside of England, just five times in the first innings in four years. So that makes me think, that assessment, you know, logically, you know, that, that logical assessment does make sense. But is it a fair assessment? Is it an ass not necessarily speaking about Mark Ramprakash specifically, but speaking about the role of a someone who's a batting coach, what makes someone a good batting coach? And how do you measure whether they've been successful as a batting coach? Is it something where you can say, well, look, you know, uh, the team that they coach don't score enough runs, so therefore they can't be a very good coach? Well, I suppose that is one way of of assessing whether your teams, whether your coach is any good, is to, is to look at, at things like that. And um, you know, certainly last winter, when England were out in India, the inability for the opposition to score scores such as 500 plus 
um, was obviously uh, one of the telling factors in in the um, the outcome of that series, which they which they lost four 0 over there. Um, but but equally, I think it's becoming more and more difficult to to win away from home, and I think statistically that is that is proven. You know, it's it's uh, an uh, away from home win should be properly celebrated. It, irrespective of the opposition irrespective of whether it's in an, an Ashes series which uh, from personal experience is, is yeah. really tough um, so uh, you know I wouldn't personally put the blame down to Rams and, and from my experience of working with him uh, in the coach education I mean he is an exceptional coach he's got a magnificent manner he's incredibly well respected by the boys and you, you can't get away from the fact that, that England has just got to perform better if they want to be competitive in this in this series um, they've got to perform better for longer and I think that was the key to, to this last game um, rather than any sort of uh, let's point the finger at the, the coaches which always happens in Ashes series I, I remember back to to the 2006-7 one you know the, the thing that got pointed at Kevin Shine incredibly unfairly when Steve Harmson bowled the first ball to, to second slip, you know, Kev was sitting three three seats down from me and was not in a position to influence uh, that delivery or, or what was going on. And I, and I thought that was uh, grossly unfair as well. So, um, you know, in, in that series, I, I got criticised, you know, but again, I, I I don't tend to worry about these things, and I don't think Ramps will actually. I think Ramps will just get on with his job, uh, and and do his thing. But it's so easy to get into that sort of football mentality of of pointing fingers at, at backroom staff and and um, and what have you. Of course, we have to be accountable. Of course, we have to be responsible. But uh, from my point of view, Mark Rampacas is exactly both of those things, and a fantastic person to be to be in that position. They're going to need him over the course of this series. But you know. If we don't get 500, then I wouldn't be pointing too many fingers because that's not an easy thing to do either. I suppose for me, it it, it boils down to perspective. In that, um, yeah, you can say you you can look at results. You know, runs is runs is a result, um, and say, well, you know, England haven't scored enough runs, but there there is someone else involved in that well quite a lot of other people involved in in what happens when a team score runs including the opposition bowlers who you definitely can't do anything about as a batting coach um i guess even if you are the world's best batting coach and you get someone to improve by 50 percent in uh, six weeks uh, then you come up against someone who is still better than you then you're still not going to score what you would say is, oh, you're not scoring enough runs. So you can be a fantastic coach. You know, the, the, an incredible coach can do miraculous things and someone still might get a duck and they still might consistently get ducks. It's just that, you know, they're coming up against people who are uh, who are much better than them. So it is a difficult thing as a coach to know, uh, you know, how much effect you're having on the final performance because you know even the batsman themselves doesn't have full influence on the final performance they, they do what they can they've got the most influence on it but you know if if you get conditions which are not conducive to batting and you get bowlers who are extremely good then that's going to reduce your batting average of course it is so uh, yeah. In, yeah i agree in terms of assessing uh, the effectiveness effectiveness of a specialist coach you know whether it's batting or bowling or fielding or anything like that well, how how can you do that fairly in a way that says this person is doing a good job and they are helping players improve? Uh, it's just that the results aren't necessarily going exactly the way that we want them to go at the moment. Well, I think 
what you have to do is talk to the players first and foremost, especially the ones that are the most established players, and I'm sure that's exactly how England go about it. So whilst we've got a relatively inexperienced um, batting lineup from from one to five in certain positions, you you have got in there Alistair Cook, who's been around for a long time, has seen lots of batting coaches and knows what a good one looks like. So that would be one of my barometers. The second person I'd obviously go to is a captain in in Joe Root, who currently is batting at, at four in in this side. You know, again he's been through quite a lot, not as long as Cookie, but he he knows what's what. Then you go a little bit further down and and. Um, uh, Bearstow and, and Ali are very much putting together a, a huge uh, number of appearances between them. So I would talk to those guys first and foremost because we we pretty much anticipate that they're going to be around for a bit longer as well. So it's important that they're comfortable with with the batting coach that's uh, with in them. And then I'd talk to the to the coaches because as well as the element of batters and runs and all of that, you know, you also have to be a good fit within the environment. And uh, there's no doubt for me that uh, the environment that Trevor Bayliss and Paul Farbrace have put together is wholeheartedly added to by by Ramps being there and all of the other other people as well. So that would be the way that I would assess it because what, what people probably don't appreciate is that you've got to keep that strong because you're together in this tour for example is going to be what three months and you are it's a tight schedule you are in and out of each other's pockets the whole time so that element has to work as well you know you can't just jettison in uh, a a coach to to make stuff better he might be a fantastic coach with the with the players but if he doesn't get that element of culture and team and an environment right then all of a sudden cracks will start to to happen hugely and it will stick out like a sore thumb so to me ramps is absolutely fantastic in that role his knowledge base working with him on level three has been uh, magnificent his passion the way he engages with players and, and ultimately you know when we were 246 for four that was the time for the players to go right okay this is our moment to seize this seize this game and they didn't and uh, you know how much you put that down to him and how much you put that down to uh, the bowlers and the, the England players who are in that situation you know you can chuck that up in the air and, and sort of like see what, what comes down with it but ultimately you know that was a time where we needed to put the, the foot down to really be stubborn and, and to stick in there and, and really extend that partnership and make the next partnership work and we didn't and that was the first point that we lost the match and then the second point was when we had them 70 odd for four in, in their first innings that was the, the time uh, that we needed to to really make sure that we bowled them out for 150 and 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 put as much distance as possible between ourselves and uh, and them going into the going into the last two or three days. What Australia did fantastically through Steve Smith through a couple of partnerships was uh, was Sean Marsh and then Pat Cummins was was do exactly what England didn't do really. Uh, and as a as a result, they got just a bit ahead. The momentum shifted, and and away they went on one of the most, uh, you know, difficult places to play Test cricket for an opposition um, an opposition team. So, uh, two opportunities missed. I wouldn't be pointing the finger at any specific coach, but on those first two days, we had two opportunities to really stick ourselves in that game and say we're going to be impossible to beat, and we missed both of them. And I suppose at the elite level as well, you know, um, at, at almost every level, I suppose, there's, there's so much influence a coach has got on a player. But the, the higher or the longer a player has been playing, the, the more that uh, 
influence reduces i suppose in that you know you you become set in a in a way that works for you and and it gets harder and harder to change as you get as you play more and more cricket so i guess the other point about that is that what is the influence that a coach can have you know it's it's a very it's going to be small right i mean i've heard people say 10% at the elite level i've heard people say 1% at the elite level so yeah to to point the finger at anyone and say well England aren't scoring 500 enough times it must be the batting coach's fault is say you know it's saying well you know what how much influence can the batting coach have on individual players they, they can be part of the culture they can do lots of things to help but um, if it's something between one and ten percent assistance then that that alone is not going to be enough to say it's all your fault mate so <laughs> you, you, you've got to you've got better whatever level you're coaching at you, you've got to bear that in mind that you can only have so much influence on a player and the any one player or any group of players and those players are the ones who are going to have to go out and do it that that's the key to it isn't it it, it really is and you know Alistair Cook got out in the second innings in the way that he got out how many times have we seen him do that over the course of his test career you know that that was just such an out of out of cookie experience really wasn't it getting out in that fashion uh, on a ground where he's had incredible success um, in the past and uh, you know he's going to review that it, ramps might do it with him but I don't think anybody's going to need need to review it with cookie he's got enough experience he, he will do that and ultimately if we are going to score 500 or 500 might not always be the the score that you need to get in this series, I look at their their batting lineup and the reliance that they've got in particular on two people, just as we have probably. And you know, I'm not sure that 500 is the is the magic number. I think uh, possibly, you know, 400 is going to be very difficult to to go against, isn't it? If somebody gets 400 in an inning in one of their innings first up, I think that's going to be pretty pretty match defining in this series. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we're going to get 400 or or the magic 500 that we're talking about here then Alistair Cook's got to come to the party and I'm sure he will because uh, you know whatever Ramps says to him or how many balls Ramps go uh, throws at him the only person that's going to change that is Alistair Cook and uh, history tells us that 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 will happen yeah yeah and that's that that point about numbers is an interesting one in that um uh, you know, you, I'm sure. I, I imagine you were around the England team at the time when England got five hundred and fifty and declared and still lost the game. So, <laughs> oh, I was very much around the England team at that, that yeah, time. That, there you go. Yep. <laughs> so, that's uh, you. If you put a magic onto a number, then uh, you're at risk there, aren't you? You're at risk of getting it and thinking, well, there you go, that's enough. We've won this one. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, you know, or, or the other way, going, oh no, we haven't got five hundred. We've definitely lost. Yeah, so yeah uh, but that's a really that's a really good one you know and and at the time I, I didn't I didn't question whether it was the right decision or not I, I, because it was more about the, the amount of time left in the game actually at that point to try and affect a result um, uh, whether that result was a strong uh, draw or whether it was a then going to be a win so it, it was a time factor rather than a, a number factor but you know obviously in hindsight they got enough runs to be close to us and then bowled us out for diddly squat in the third innings and and pogoed it in the last innings you know and and that yeah, was, happens and and that's the way that that 
that went but uh, yeah for me I, I think 400 is going to be a heck of a score in, in this series I look at uh, their bowling attack I look at how good Lyon is um, and you know if we get 400 in that I, I think we've got enough in our bowling attack particularly in the next match because that that's the that's a, a different sort of element that we haven't seen in Ashes series previously is, is this pink ball game and the influence of the twilight which we saw in, at uh, this year in, in the UK was massive in that game against the West Indies I know the West Indies weren't very good in that uh, particular game but you know they, they got the, the the wrong times to bat on a regular basis and, and Jimmy Anderson in particular exploited and Stuart Broad exploited those conditions fantastically so for me you know if there's ever a brilliant match for them to go to it's A to go to Adelaide which is just a wonderful place to play cricket uh, B for it to be a pink match under floodlights and, and hoping that you get the rub of the green in terms of, of when you're going to be bowling and, and the bowlers are on song enough to be able to uh, take advantage of that so you know if you were going to if you were going to the Wacker next which I know we never do in an Ashes series but say if we were I would be less optimistic about England's chances of, of fighting back in a series but we're not mm. and uh, fingers crossed and toes and everything from my perspective Let's move on to questions now, questions that have been sent in by listeners to the show. And we are going to answer a couple of questions and then we're going to choose a winner that is a prize of an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. You can email us for future shows on coach at pitchvision.com. And uh, that is what Saif has done as well, actually sent in a a message via Facebook. We'll tell you about that towards the end of the show. Uh, But Saif has said... I have a problem of chucking in my bowling action. It's a minor one, but when I try to bowl fast, it becomes so obvious. Can you give me tips on how to correct it? And uh, although we've talked about chucking before, maybe what I wanted to focus on here, Gareth, wasn't necessarily um, fixing uh, that, that elbow bend, but how that fits into a a bigger thing because I'm working with a bowler at the moment who um, has a a problem another technical issue that's causing him a a problem with the game which is he he can't um, seem to get himself to follow through properly ends up running onto the danger area all the time so uh, those these are these are technical these type of things are technical issues where um you, you need to correct them. But in this world where we talk about, you know, constraints-led approaches and um, we talk about, um, you know, letting the solution find itself and all that kind of thing, but yet you have this you have this, uh, this rule in cricket, this law in cricket that says, no, you can't do that. So um, we, we need to correct things like that. We need to correct tr- chucking if someone's doing it and we need to correct things like running on the danger area if it, if it happens. And uh, so if someone is persistently doing something like this, like chucking, for example, um, where do we start with with helping them find a way through it? Well, I, I think to this one, from again from experience, I think uh, adding in the side flexion and stress fracture into that as a bowling, if we're looking at bowling, is also another one of these things because they prevent you from doing what you want to do in a game of cricket, don't yes. they? And, and and as soon as you go into that area, that becomes quite a mental thing that um it, it becomes because that's a real worry you know whereas if you if you're batting and you keep nicking off to slip you can still partake in the game can't you you can still do your business until you nick off to slip which is what i used to do um but you know <laughs> you, you can still get the odd run you can still try and battle your way to find find a solution 
to that to that problem, but it's not going to stop you from doing your thing. Um, whereas in, in injury, in terms of side affection for fastball, is it running on the pitch and, and uh, having a kink in your bowling action uh, are all stopping you from being able to do what you enjoy, what you love, what you joined up this game to, to be able to achieve. So I think from a psychology perspective, we've got to support, haven't we? Uh, as coaches, we've got to be incredibly support supportive. We've got to demonstrate some empathy. We've got to become very skilled in the way that we deliver things because the sensitivities around these three areas of injury, running on the pitch and, and having a kink in the bowling uh, arm are they're pretty definitive. You know, you either can do it or you can't do it and it's black and white. So, yeah, it, to me it takes a lot of time to get to get to do interventions because it's not as simple as going, oh, right, you just need to put your foot there and this, that and the other. There's so many more elements and there's often a lot of scarring, both physical scarring and also mental scarring that's happened on the lead up to you starting some intervention. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's a hard thing to change to just say to someone, oh, especially you know, if you've bowled, if you're in your late twenties and you've bowled in a certain way for for years and years and years, and and you've sort of got away with it, you know, umpires haven't noticed, for example, or you know, it's uh, you you found a you found a novel way to sort of hide it, long sleeves, something like that. Then um, it's it's a it's a hard thing to say, you know, if the coach says, well, all you need to do is keep your arms straight. What are you talking about? Um, you know that's you've you've created a a, a a mental model in your mind of how to bowl, and changing that is extremely difficult. So, wh- where do we start with something like that? If someone has got an, an ingrained action. You know they bowled thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of deliveries in this way. Wh- where do we start with sort of saying, okay, all right, well we need to sort out this kingle. How do we start with that? I think we've got to look at the root cause. I think you've, you've got to go back to root cause. And there's quite a few, uh, and I'm assuming this guy's a fast bowler, so I'm going to go down that angle. Um, so if you look at somebody's bowling circle when they're when they're uh, on their bowling arm, a lot of people, and this comes from a friend of mine, Stuart Barnes, who worked out in Bangladesh as a bowling coach. And in Bangladesh, he was in charge of a whole pathway going through um, from from sort of uh, early representative cricket all the way through to the test side and encountered quite a few people that would come into those environments with uh, suspect bowling actions. So if you think of the bowling circle as where your arm goes forward and then it goes back past your hip, as your bowling hand goes back past your hip, if it's if the palm is facing up, then as your arm goes into extension towards the back of your circle, you're likely to have what is called a carry angle, which is the difference between that around the elbow, the difference between the alignment of the forearm and the alignment of, of the, the biceps. So if you can imagine as your hand goes into that, into the bottom of um, that bowling circle, if your palm is facing up and the ball is facing up towards your face, if you have a still from the side on the video, then there's a there's more of a chance that you're going to go into having a, a, a carry angle um, as you get to shoulder level and that carry angle obviously has got a certain amount of degrees that it can have to be to be legal so what he used to do was to see to get his bowlers through lots of drills and this is this is painstaking in terms of time and effort to get the bowlers to see if they could have the back of their hand the hairy bit of their hand pointing up towards their face as the as the bowling circle went down uh, to their hip and if you can mimic that as i am as i sit here me too at the moment <laughs> You, you um, 
you will have a, a tighter and a, you, your arm will be in a different position and you'll feel tightness and you'll notice that your arm is straight as you do that. So that's one method okay, uh, of dealing with that. It's a very simplistic method because that isn't always the root cause. I've seen bowlers that have had exactly the position that I've had and still actually ping the ball uh, down the other end with, with, with the throw because there are other factors coming in. But that's a really basic one that I think uh, people can have a look at. It also works for spinners as well. So trying to make sure that your bowling circle, uh, your bicycle wheel of your bowling arm is as complete as you get it into, uh, as it goes past your hip as possible is a really good thing to, to do. So that's one starting point. And as I say, that came from Barnsley. So thank you for that, mate, because it's helped in a couple of things uh, over the years. Um, and then the other ones is to see where your energy is going, because often we don't see the the throw in, in inverted commas from the side. Sometimes we see the throw from the back uh, view. And that's why it's really important to get a side on view and a back view when you're working with any young player on video because it can look perfect from a side because of what I've just said is in place but actually from the, from the back at the last minute the, the body is flicking the ball towards the stumps because the body intuitively knows that the ball has to go down towards the batter and, and towards the stumps so if, if the energies are going in the wrong direction the only way to get it back on sometimes is to actually have that flick uh, and, and to throw it and that's where a lot of people are, uh, are getting called nowadays not from a side as we always traditionally have seen it but actually um, suspicion is coming from a front on or back view um, so if that happens it just means that your energy your your motion is going in the wrong direction leading up to point of delivery and, and your body is intuitively having to flick the ball in a direction to get it down towards the stumps and that is that then is just making sure that your run up angle your jump angle your energies are going towards your intended target uh, they're often falling away and then the, the body is having to compensate to get it back online so that you know you can do drills like getting the piece of string out <clears throat> take it from the, the, the target area all the way back through the delivery um, stride all the way back to your run up and just work along that work along that line as, as much as possible you can get you know intervention poles out or crash mats to try and get you to uh, align yourself more appropriately at the crease you can do some uh, temp peg drills uh, lining yourself um, towards the, uh, the the target really well just to get used to that feeling of that body all working together rather than the front side pulling away and then the, the bowling arm having to, to readjust so again these things aren't an instant fix by any stretch of imagination they have to be dealt with in a very careful fashion by the coach who's working with you you have to have empathy when you're doing it and that's difficult when most of us haven't been through this same thing so seek advice from people that have gone through this uh, before both from a coaching point of view uh, and also from being a, a player there'll be some players out there that you can use their experience of going through it and how they cope with the painstaking uh, drills and monotony and getting it wrong and then having to do it all over again and all of those things you know that it's very important that we have that empathy and, uh, um, you know, good luck in, in, in your quest on that. Hopefully, it's the quicker of the two fixes, which is a Stuart Barnes one. But if it's not, then have a look at where your energies are going. Get somebody to video you from behind uh, and see if that um, uh, bit of string or intervention can help. Remembering always that we have to take away that intervention to see whether it actually works in an open environment because often we revert to type. But if that's the case, it's not the end of the world. We just need to do some more of this stuff 
just more of the processes before we we can then be deemed as legal and then ping the ball down at a really good rate and not so illegal fashion and have great fun at the other end when the ball's hitting stumps. Next question is from Atif. And Atif, it's another bowling question. It's just one just from a spinner. Atif says, how can I get my arm higher when I bowl off spin? My coach says my arm's too low. <clears throat> well, um, firstly, get some video to see whether it actually is too low. And I know we come back to video all the time, but it's really good to get a reference point on whether it is too low because uh, us coaches sometimes have a view of what we want to see, which doesn't always necessarily marry up with what's actually happening. So that that would be, I think, is um, is a good thing to do. Um, most spinners that I'm working with presently, if anything, have their arms too high, which is you know which prevents them from getting a significant drift or um, getting the right uh, angle of seam when they're when they're bowling the ball down down the other end. So uh, you know it might be actually that you're your adjustment is a slightly easier one than some of the ones that I'm going going through at the moment, for example. So there is a tendency for people to get the wrong side of perpendicular, and it sounds as if you're the right side of perpendicular, but you just need to bring it slightly towards perpendicular. Um, so often this is about front arm and how the, the two sides of the body body work. So if, you, if your front arm uh, is working out towards the uh, intended target and the batter, pulling in and driving your bowling side through then you're more likely to get it up into that appropriate arm slot if your arm is working across the body and and pulling it over to to one side you you either come beyond perpendicular which you're not doing or you have an arm slot which is a little bit low and around the corner and of course the spin that you can then impart you might be putting some good revs on but you're going to be putting quite a lot of side spin rather than a combination of side spin and top spin on the ball which I think is probably where your coach is coming from coming from now of course some of the best spinners have the capacity to to alter their arm slot to, to induce those different types of spin and then to get different reaction through the air and off the pitch so you know I played with a guy called uh, Raj Maru down at down at Hampshire and he would adjust very subtly his arm slot to to get different results out of the pitch a very clever bowler um so you know, having a, a slight the option to bowl with a slightly lower arm uh, on occasion isn't a bad isn't a bad thing in terms of deception. Um, so get some video, see where you're actually at, rather than just relying on your coach. And if he is right, then um, work that front front side mechanics a little bit more to try and get that appropriate arm slot of release. I agree with that. I'd I'd say as well. Look at what's happening at the other end. If it, the the coach might not the coach might not be happy because you haven't got a classical bowling action, um, and they may be correct. Uh, but what's the most important thing is what's happening at the other end. If you are getting the ball to turn and drift and dip, then why would you want to change your arm position? You, well, what we're interested in is what what the ball does, not how you're actually you don't get any extra points for having a perfect action you know you don't you don't chuck a couple of extra wickets on because your action's perfect it's not strictly come dancing it's it, it's a game which is based on how many runs you concede and how many wickets you take so um d- look at that first and if that is something which you're happy with and and you've built a game around you know maybe bowling with a slightly lower arm but you've you can still find a way to take wickets and, and keep the runs down then you are doing a job which doesn't need that technical correction but if you find that um, 
you do feel like you can get more turn, you can get more drift, you can get more dip, then yeah, you can experiment with with trying to get that arm a little bit higher and um, the, the old classic coaching instruction of, of, of brushing the ear, which uh, I know we don't talk about anymore, but is, you know, it's, it's, um, it's sort of a thing, which is talking about getting the arm high in, into that, into that good position. But I suppose also that idea of brushing the ear is also something which causes people to go past the, the 12 o'clock position, isn't it as well? And that's where, that's where you yeah. start getting problems. So yeah, you don't necessarily yeah. want to do that, but um, it, experiment with it work out where that arm position is best for you and then work from there that's the advice i'd give and and before before starting to make changes work out whether those changes are needed in the first place no definitely i mean just taking it back to batting i mean there'll be a lot of people who can't understand steve smith steve smith's method <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah going back to that outcome thing yeah. but uh, keeps getting runs when it's really important doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, that's that's all that matters. Yeah, it's not how it's how many. So you know, until they start giving us uh, extra bonuses for um, for style, then you know you can have Michael Vaughan's cover drive or uh, Graham Swan's bowling action, but it's not going to get you anything extra. It, it it might get you better outcomes, but you know, if you've got a way, then use the way that works for you. Don't don't. What was it you say, Gareth? Follow your body, not everybody. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, de- yeah. definitely. And and uh, so I think you know, get a good re- get a good reference point on on yourself by by starting off getting some video, uh, and then maybe talking to that coach if he's not videoed you before. Maybe sit down and, and go that through that with him because I've looked at video and go, actually, that's not doing what I thought it was doing. So ha- have that conversation. That's a really good starting point. And. Um, but think about front side. Also, have a look at the alignment of your your feet as well, um, because often if you if you're blocked off, then um, it, you'll end up coming round yourself and having a slightly lower arm slot. So it might be that you need to do some work on realignment of the feet. But the starting point is video. Um, have the conversation with your coach. Work with your coach. Involve your coach, um, uh, because he's taken the time out to give you his feedback initially. So let's do some follow up on that and uh, let's know how you go. And that's just about all we've got time for on the show this week. There is one more thing we need to do before we finish up, and that's decide on the winner of the competition. The two questions we just had are are vying for that online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And we had Saif's question about a kink in his bowling action and Atif's question about a higher arm when he's bowling his spinners. So which one did you prefer this week, Gareth? I'm going to go with the the kink in the bowling action because you know we're seeing lots of people with that, and hopefully some of that advice that we've given, particularly around the process and and sticking with it and having empathy, will help some coaches uh, to be able to uh, support their player through that as best as possible. And if someone else was listening to the show and wanted their chance to win the prize, certainly get their question answered and uh, win the prize. How could they get in touch with us, Gareth? They could give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com. That's right. There's social media options as well. You can head over to pitchvision.com. We've got uh, a social media system there which you can 
send us a message on. Uh, Pitch Vision Academy is the account there if you want to search for that. Uh, if you use Facebook, and who doesn't, you can message us there at facebook.com slash pitchvisionacademy. And Twitter is at pitchvisionacad. You can listen to this show every week as well. If you want to do that, you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Just search for Pitch Vision Academy, tap on subscribe, and you'll get that for free every week we do a show, which is uh, pretty much every week with a little holiday around Christmas time. That's coming up soon for us. (laughs) And um, if you want to get any of the old shows, look at all the old show notes, stream the show, download the show. You can do all that through the Pitch Vision website as well. If you go to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link, you'll get all the details there. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Garris. Cheers, fella. Cheers, fella.